0: When the Founding Fathers gathered to sign the Declaration of Independence, they fully believed that the Christian God was behind their endeavor. They were, after all, championing noble causes such as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Centuries later, multitudes of evangelical Americans have the same conviction. God is on our side. Today we're going to take a look at Christian nationalism, and just a heads up, we're going to stir the pot a little bit. Stay with us.
1: In the past two videos, I've been talking about the condition of the American church to which we all belong. There's one more subject that should be addressed along these lines, and that is the fact that in America, to be an evangelical is nearly synonymous with being a conservative. During the late 90s, I was invited to join an intimate meeting with a group of some of the leading Christian activists in our nation. I love our country. And I so appreciate these folks fighting to restore America back to a time when civility and decency ruled the social landscape. Yet at the same time, what was burning in my heart was deeper than the political causes they were championing. I shared my feelings that the greater need is for our nation to experience spiritual revival. After I finished my little rant, Janet Folger Porter sort of rebuked me by telling me how she had seen patriotic Americans with tears running down their cheeks as they committed themselves to the restoration of traditional values. That was her idea of the revival our nation needs. It shouldn't surprise us that so many people equate Christianity with conservatism. Believers and conservatives hold many things in common. Both groups oppose abortion rights, the homosexual agenda, globalism, and the rest of the liberal platform. Indeed, the two groups seem to be forever joined at the hip. This merger is now so complete that, for most Americans, to see one is to see the other. But I can't help but wonder if Christians are overlooking something that is amiss here. Do we really believe that the Conservative Party and the Kingdom of God are so in sync that men like Rush Limbaugh, Donald Trump, and Sean Hannity should shape the Christian worldview as much, if not more, than godly leaders in the church? Are we really certain that our constitutional rights, economic stability, and border safety is as important to God as it is to us? I realize that I've just hit on some really hot-button issues. My point isn't to take a side here, but to cause us to carefully question the easy assumption that the goals of the conservative party are one and the same with the aims of the Kingdom of God. Maybe we should be asking ourselves how our spiritual life has been affected by our involvement with the conservative cause. In his book, The Religion of American Greatness, What's Wrong with Christian Nationalism? Paul Miller takes issue with this blending of two belief systems and argues that they should remain detached and exclusive from each other. He says that the interests of those committed to Christian nationalism is in, quote, the inherited norms, values, and habits of American Christian heritage, more than a living Christian faith. For the Christian nationalists, then, the main point of sanctification becomes safeguarding the nation, not honoring God by emulating his character. In other words, the motivation and purpose for godly living becomes enmeshed with the desire to preserve our American way of life. Miller goes on to say that these belief systems should be separate, rival, mutually exclusive religions. They make fundamentally incommensurable claims on human loyalty. In its ideal type, you can either be a Christian nationalist or you can be a Christian. You cannot be both. Wow! I really think he's on to something here. Another Christian thinker who takes exception to this mixture of these movements is Brian Zand, who wrote a book entitled Postcards from Babylon. He makes the point that the U.S. is not a rebirth of Biblical Israel. It's actually closer to being a kind of Biblical Babylon. He says, Jews living in Babylon were literal exiles, a diaspora living in a foreign land. Today, Christians are metaphorical exiles within the modern empire of America. But most do not see themselves as exiles. Most fail to see American culture as something we need to come out of. Instead of coming out of an American culture built on consumerism and militarism and being the church, many Christians are attempting to return to a mythical past where they imagine America as kind of a new Israel. All of this is tragically mistaken. Until we see America as a kind of new Babylon instead of a kind of new Israel, it will be exceedingly difficult if not impossible, for Christians to faithfully embody the holy otherness of the kingdom of Christ. This needs to be made clear, he contends. America is not an extension of the kingdom of Christ. America is a continuation of Babylon. America may or may not be a gentler, kinder Babylon, but it's a Babylon nonetheless. Of course, Zan's taking a broader sweep of the American lifestyle than mere involvement with the conservative cause. But nevertheless, he's making an important point about our tendency to equate Americanism with Christianity. I must remind myself that I've been called to an eternal kingdom, not to a political system that is part of the temporal realm of earth life. I've been called to be a follower of Jesus Christ, not a political groupie of Donald Trump. I've been called to live a life of sacrifice, not the life of financial gain the conservative cause promotes. I, for one, do not fault the conservatives for their fight for traditional values and would love to see them succeed in their great battle. But I cannot fall in line with the belief that a return to traditional values will save America. I believe there is something deeper and more important than such nationalism It is the kingdom of God. If Christians were living up to the ideals laid down by Jesus Christ, I believe a movement would be unleashed in the U.S. that would be so powerful that tens of thousands would be swept into God's kingdom. I'm grateful to be a citizen of the United States. With the exception of a brief period of Israel's existence, it's the greatest nation that's ever been on earth. But the primary devotion in my heart is not to a geopolitical location, and it's not to any such social causes. My devotion is to Jesus Christ, for it is his kingdom that will endure forever.
0: You might be wondering, why are they talking about this? Why are they talking about Christian nationalism in a series about the spirit of Babylon? I mean, isn't it the Democrats who are fully engulfed in the spirit of the world and the Republicans who are standing against their godless agenda? Well, as Pastor Steve said, the purpose of this episode is not to take sides on controversial issues or to question whether or not Republicans are more righteous than Democrats. We simply think that a follower of Jesus should ask themselves whether or not God would wholeheartedly co-sign the conservative agenda. But why does that matter? That's what our next segment is about. Okay, well, Pastor Ed, thanks for coming in to the studio.
2: Hi, Nate. It's great to be here.
0: Okay, so this interview is coming alongside Pastor Steve's talk on Christian nationalism, and so I had thought that it would be nice for you to come in and share some of your own prayerful thoughts and opinions about the subject, because Mm -hmm. what we're going to talk about today is it's a very hot topic. People are very opinionated about things like our constitutional rights, Mm -hmm. um, the role of Christians and government, how involved we should be in politics and i think that we're coming into days where our opinions on these things are going to really take us into a definite direction yeah because I mean. it's just it's a time of division you know mm-hmm. where people are being forced to make a decision about things and pick a side and christian nationalism has a lot of appeal i think you know, because mm-hmm. we see our country going in such a destructive direction, and Christian nationalism seems to offer a lot of hope for us. And I guess the question really is is the hope that it offers us, is it the hope that God wants to offer? Yeah. You know, what is God's perspective on it? I think that's what we want to try to look at today. So thanks very much for coming in to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I would just open it up and say, what are your what are your thoughts about Christian nationalism and its promises
2: yeah well I guess I do have a few thoughts you know you told me that's what we would uh, be talking about today and so I've been just sort of sifting through <laughs> internally and through scripture over the last week or so and I um, you know, the the term Christian nationalism may be fairly new, but the idea, the concept of Christian nationalism isn't really new at all. And even in the Bible, I was looking at scripture and, uh, saw the Herodians mentioned, and it just Mm -hmm. clicked with me, like, you know, really the Herodians were a very early form of what we now have as Christian nationalism, where, you know, it's just a political party comprised of Jews in that day, but they supported King Herod because they looked at him even as a type of Messiah to them, a savior who would uh, put the Jewish land in favor with the Roman Empire. And therefore provide blessings <laughs> to them. So, in other words, they believe that by supporting Herod, they were actually currying favor with Rome, and that in turn would lead to protection for Jewish traditions and freedoms. Okay, very much like what we see happening with Christian nationalism in our country, mm-hmm. um, and you know the way Christians kind of support the Republican Party in a sense, or conservative politics in general is is exactly that same sort of thing. It's meant to protect our religious freedom and promote biblical morality in our nation. But the problem in both cases, you know, both with the Herodians back then, the Christian nationalists today, is the fact that their devotion is really misguided. And loving one's country is not the same as loving God. And I think that eventually that distinction needs to be made because circumstances will arise that cause our loyalty to one or the other to, to have to win out. They won't be compatible forever. Mm.
0: Okay. So here's where I think I would like you to maybe parse some stuff out for us because I think we all can agree that certain political agendas are inherently destructive. Mm-hmm. True. So the LGBTQ agenda, mm-hmm. abortion, socialism these things are inherently destructive and so then the political party that opposes that and brings in more of a biblical morality that really does seem to offer this the hope that of saving the country <laughs> you mm-hmm. know and saving our freedoms our economic status the things we love about america it, it really does seem that one is going to destroy those one is going to promote and save those things so How would you – I don't know. How would you parse that out to say, but that's still not necessarily God's aim?
2: Yeah. Well, for me, like, for example, I – I read in Scripture about persecution, for example, and, you know, everything you understand from Scripture, I think we would all agree that persecution is going to come, that believers will and and in some degree ought to face persecution. And certainly, as we get closer to the end of everything, that persecution is a given. And when I see that, then, so the things that you were just mentioning, uh, like economic stability and prosperity, uh, some, uh, just take that, for example. Like, is that really compatible with persecution? If we're supporting an agenda that results in economic prosperity, does that really line up with what God's trying to do in his people Mm. during that same period of time? Uh, because persecution may well involve sacrifice, letting go of our possessions, you know. And again, you see that all throughout Scripture. I think in the early church, uh, there's a passage in Hebrews that talks about, you know, having your goods plundered (laughs) and rejoicing in that. Mm -hmm. So when I see those types of things, Nate, it's it's hard to reconcile just a, a wholehearted blind support of one path without some kind of tempering of that by the fact that this may not really be God's plan for our country.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's not that God has no opinion about morality. Obviously, we know he does. Right. Sure. Um and what you're not saying is that you would love the results of, you know, persecution or a godless party just having complete authority. It's not that.
2: Correct. Absolutely not that. Uh,
0: but that the the thoughts of God are higher than our thoughts.
2: Yes, exactly. And, and you know, the Herodians came into that same place that, that I think we'll come to where uh, they had to make a choice and they allied themselves with the Pharisees and plotted how to kill Jesus because he wasn't Doing God wasn't doing what they expected him mm. to do, and, mm-hmm. and that's what I can easily foresee you know, coming to that place ourselves where when God isn't acting the way we, maybe we anticipated or, or isn't protecting our rights or mm-hmm. our prosperity the way we really counted on <laughs> happening, will we really have faith in God? Will we really worship God? Will we really still uh, be loyal to to God and devoted to him and his kingdom even if it costs us our prosperity and some of our rights. Hmm.
0: One one of the really hot topics I think of today is how involved should Christians be in politics because hmm. and it seems like people take pretty strong sides like, you know, the Anabaptists are typically going to say no involvement in political power whatsoever, that's the kingdom of the world, we're a part of the kingdom of God. Other people are going to look at um, maybe people like William Wilberforce and see all the good that he did for the sake of others and say, oh no, we as Christians, we have the responsibility to be involved in politics. And it's just really, there's a lot of thoughts and a lot of opinions. Where, Where do you stand with some of that?
2: Yeah that's a really good question and and I do believe that perhaps it's entirely different for different people based on their calling individually from God there you know he may not call everyone to uh, the same position in this uh, okay. matter. I think Christians, there's certainly there's room for wide div- diversity here, just mm-hmm. like you mentioned, you know, some of the very conservative Anabaptist groups wouldn't be involved at all. Others out there under the Christian banner are, you know, feeling very um like it's a necessary part of their faith to, to be involved. So, Mm. so absolutely. But uh, the thing that comes to mind for me and me personally, I kind of, Lean this direction for sure is Daniel, uh, for example, in the Old Testament. Just the the whole story of Daniel, um, you know, as a young Israelite sent to Babylon, which of course was all the result of God's judgment on Israel at the time. I think that context is really kind of important, even for our discussion here. Like there is a day of judgment coming on this earth, and and so we look at Daniel, you know, as as a man there in Babylon. He never ran for political office. He didn't volunteer for any political service. He didn't seek to accumulate or, or wield any kind of political power himself. You know, It was because, though, of his unwavering commitment to serving the Lord that Daniel ended up with tremendous political influence. In uh, chapter 2, verse 48 of the book of Daniel, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel the ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. And then later, we can even see how Daniel's influence led Nebuchadnezzar's successor, King Darius, to issue a decree that everyone, quote, must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God end quote. Mm -hmm. You know, so, Nate, it was Daniel's lifestyle of purity, his lifestyle of worship and dedication to the Lord that was much more influential, really, than the political power, like that preceded any political power that he gained. And I guess I do feel like that's kind of important for us to keep in mind, especially as things unfold here. Who knows how things are going to go in these last days, but we can't go wrong when we adhere to the pure, of worship in our lifestyle uh, and serving the Lord and dedication to the Lord, those are the things that are going to ensure that we end up on the right side of whatever lines are being drawn.
0: Okay, so in your mind, it, it seems like what you're saying is God very well may call certain people into a life of politics.
2: Sure. Sure, we don't want to abandon that, you know, to the enemy. Uh, it would be, I think, you know, an awful scenario if there were no Christians in politics. Yeah, yeah.
0: But the idea that the savior of our world is going to come through political activism—that's where maybe we go astray?
2: Yes, exactly. That, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. We we can't look to politics as our answer. You know, uh, The kingdom of God is not going to be established through the ballot box. It's going to be established in the hearts of God's people.
0: Even with Daniel, he wasn't looking to create a cultural revolution in Babylon.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah, that was never his intent.
0: Yeah, he... He simply honored the Lord in the place where he was, and there was times of tremendous effect. And then, you you never know, I mean, Daniel is not a long book, so there Mm -hmm. may have been long years of just monotony. He does what he does. He gets no fanfare. You know, there's no (laughs) visible change.
2: Yeah, yeah. It didn't stop Nebuchadnezzar from creating this huge golden idol of himself, you know. Mm -hmm. But the end result of all of that was even Nebuchadnezzar said, God, Daniel's God is the God. He's Mm -hmm. the one true living God.
0: Okay, so here's a question that I'd like some some input on because – I've personally had some trouble with the way that some people talk about America. Mm. Um, And I want to be really careful because there is a lot about America that is wonderful. Sure. You know, I mean, um, personal freedom is a high ideal. And there's something about it that really reflects the glory of God, that he's not tyrannical, Right. you know, and he doesn't micromanage every piece of our lives, and he's not in it just for what he can grind out of us. There's something really glorifying about the Lord in in, in personal freedom. But I don't know, sometimes the way people talk about America as if it's the standard for righteous government
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that and that the conservative party would somehow achieve that you know we know that the you know like a leftist government is not righteous but
2: mm-hmm.
0: that like the conservative version of government is somehow like god's gold standard for government I, i've struggled with it
2: yeah yeah that's a good point Nate and um you know, I don't want to overstate things, but one thought that does come to mind: you were talking about the, uh, you know, we don't want to go all the way over on the left, liberal side, and and uh, have that kind of governing. But historically speaking, the extreme right is. Not much different uh, if you look at at history we see that that Joseph Stalin in communist Russia and Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany you know one extremely over on the left and the other extremely over on the right uh, were actually doing virtually the same identical things mm-hmm. and and so I don't think that we want to lose sight of that lesson that that these uh, extreme answers are not godly answers, mm. really. And uh, and there can be, you know, there's a spirit behind all of this political movements and, and things uh, that I think we need to take uh, into account along the way that that uh, Babylon is more than just a, a city in the Old Testament. It's, yeah. as I think Pastor Steve is bringing out pretty well in this series, it's it's a spirit. And, and so it infects everything human, really. (laughs) Um, Mm. And, and so even our political parties and things. So, uh, but yeah, you know, obviously, I'd much rather have uh, a conservative government (laughs) right now, because it seems to Uh, have adopted uh, many of the same morals and principles that I would like to see, you know, out of Scripture, it's adopted them, and I'd like to see them (laughs) continued and practiced for sure. And we're better off because of that in many ways. Uh, um, But at the same time, like take, for example, uh, the American dream, if you will, which has been around for centuries, really, ever since our founding, you know, is that really biblical? Do we ever stop and ask, does God want us to attain ever-increasing economic prosperity? Is that God's plan for his people? Because there are a lot of warnings in Scripture about what happens when you get kind of fat economically. You tend to get lazy spiritually, and you start to devolve and degrade spiritually, and your morality goes down uh, with that prosperity. And I think we can actually see that. As it's happening as it's unfolding here in America,
0: yeah i yeah, I resonate with with what you're saying. Um, one of the other things that has been I, maybe i don't know troubling to me in some way is the the um correlation that people make between national Israel and america mm. as as if America is somehow like a reincarnation of Israel. I mean, I hate to use the word reincarnation, but you know what I mean. Like yeah. a, a new version of Israel, and that America is somehow called to this savior of the world, kind of?
2: <laughs> yeah, as if we're God's chosen people yes. in this era. Exactly. And and I think that is a very fundamental question that ultimately we really got to come to grips with individually, whether we're going to see America as a new Israel, as God's chosen nation for the people, or whether we actually see uh, America as a new Babylon, and you know, honestly, when I look at it in Scripture, I I read the descriptions of Babylon and the the things about Babylon, and man, it's hard not to draw parallels and correlations to what I see in America today, especially you know, just the economic prosperity, the political power, the the worldwide political power, mm. uh, and so forth. You know, those things mirror. Babylon in the Old Testament. And for me, I really kind of see Babylon is much more than just a city, of course, in the Old Testament. It's, it's a movement, it's a spiritual movement. But I think the contrast that the Bible is really presenting us is between the new Jerusalem that is the city of God and Babylon that is uh, what Revelation 18.2 says, it becomes the dwelling place of demons and a prison for every foul spirit. That is the contrast <laughs> that I think ultimately happens. And that's why if America is just a new Babylon, we have to be able at some point to separate ourselves from the flow that America is in, or we end up in that kind of scenario. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so then, you know, you talked about um, how certain people may feel called to politics, certain people may feel called to a total separation from all of that, and that that's really kind of an individual choice as they feel the Lord leading. But the command, is a universal command where it says come out of babylon my people lest you be i can't remember the exact words but something like lest you participate in her sins and and mm-hmm. participate in her plagues that is for every christian no matter where you live on the planet
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Jeremiah, the book of Revelation are probably the two most obvious places to go find those verses. Uh, but Jeremiah has at least two calls specifically to come out of Babylon. And the first one that, uh, comes to mind is in Jeremiah 50, verse 8, where it says, move from the midst of Babylon, get out of the land of the Chaldeans, and be like the rams before the flocks. And, you know, it's not just a call to come out there. It, God is telling Israel to be the example, to be the leader, the rams, the head before the flocks. Well, that's and, cool. and I do think, yeah, we as Christians, as individual Christians, need to lead the way out of Babylon. And so we can't just— give ourselves over to the spirit of America.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's I, I, I really like that because if we believe that America is somehow um, the new Israel and, and our whole goal is to promote patriotism, then really there's no escape from sin yeah. for uh, people who want out. Mm-hmm. Because we're just trying to tie people to America rather than than calling people out. Like there's a greater vision that God is trying to give us, and and you can lead people into real freedom if they've got a vision that's beyond the world.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, Nate. I agree with that. And I I also love what Jeremiah says later in uh, chapter 51. There's a a verse that, well, it's the Lord speaking, not Jeremiah, but he says, my people get out of the midst of her and let everyone deliver himself from the fierce anger of the Lord. Like there is a judgment coming for all of the things that America does that isn't in line with uh, Mm -hmm. God's word and standards. And uh, and that phrase, deliver yourself, you know, d- deliver yourself, some translations say save yourself. I love the way the NIV says it. It says, run for your life. And, mm-hmm. and that's what we need to do, you know, because, yeah, we need that deliverance from all of the sin that we're caught up in and, uh, and running like we're running for our life, getting out of the way of this fierce judgment and wrath that is coming is essential for us. Mm-hmm.
0: Can I circle back around though to something because I I can kind of hear somebody saying, okay, I get your point, but the way we're going to be delivered from this judgment is by stopping the stuff that the Democrats are doing. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like because that's what's bringing the judgment.
2: Well, Nate, I, I think there's a at least a partial truth in what you're saying, and, and maybe in some measure we are delaying that judgment, but but again, I don't think you can just adopt the conservative approach and agenda and say that everything they stand for lines up with the Word of God either because, you know, it just comes to mind, for example, uh, the, the depth of greed, of corporate greed, of uh, love of money that is embedded in some of those conservative policies stands out to me. And I think we're going to invite judgment ultimately regardless. Mm-hmm. And, and when you read Scripture— When you read the book of Revelation, all the nations get judged. And I don't think any of them are going to stand in the face Mm. of that judgment.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think that's really helpful because that just clarifies for people that what we're not saying is that there's no difference between conservative and progressive parties or that there's no real merit in any political policies there is but yeah i think what you're what you're saying is that god's view of righteousness is much deeper than any of the political parties are really willing to embrace
2: yes exactly yeah god is so pure and he is going to have a pure people and a pure bride for his son
0: yeah okay All right. I think that that covers it as well as we can do in a short
2: interview. (laughs) Great. Thanks. It's been good to be here.
0: All right. Thanks. I think that what you just heard captures the heart of why this topic made it into this series. The Lord is righteous. He's holy. And his urgent call to his people is be holy. The issue with equating conservatism with Christianity is that the Republican Party, despite the fact that it has many noble ideals, is not holy. In large part, the Republican Party has not taken up its cross and followed Jesus to Calvary. And unless that changes, the day may come when we see the conservative agenda bow the knee to the Antichrist regime. So today is the day of preparation for us as God's people to examine ourselves and ask, are my loyalties and values truly aligned with God's, not only with issues like abortion and homosexuality, etc., but in matters of the heart? Am I allowing the Spirit to cleanse my heart of things like covetousness, self-centeredness, anger, pride, temporal-mindedness and other things? Am I allowing Him to separate me from the world along the lines that He chooses? If not, I'm afraid that we may be little more than patriotic Americans who also profess to be Christian. But when we allow God to deal with us according to His righteousness, then we walk out of the kingdom of Babylon and into the eternal kingdom of God. And that's the goal. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.